Swan is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. And good evening, everyone. I'm Leela Randall, and welcome to Bring It On, an award-winning show celebrating 12 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening. Hi, Leela. I haven't seen you in a while. Good Hello. to see you. To see I'm you Liz Mitchell. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear a moving testament by Mr. Gene Debane to his mother, Miss Maggie Debane who will turn 112 years old in November. All that in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, the mission of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus, or the IBLC, is to strive to improve educational efforts to close the achievement gap that threatens to shut the doors to opportunity for minority students at all grade levels. They also seek to enhance public policies that will address the primary concerns of minority citizens in Indiana, including the need to reduce crime, gun violence, and domestic violence within our communities, and to target assistance to address the needs of families struggling to obtain basic necessities such as housing, utilities, clothing, and food. As an As an ongoing benefit to our listeners, we have arranged with the IBLC to receive monthly progress reports toward attaining their legislative agenda. Joining us by phone tonight is Indiana State Senator Eddie Eddie Melton, who represents District 3. Melton serves as a ranking minority member of the um, Senate Education Committee and the Natural Resources Committee. In addition to serving in the Indiana General Assembly, Melton serves as the Manager of Federal Government and Community Relations for Northern Indiana Public Service Community, NIPS, SEO NEPSCO. In this position, he leads the corporation's federal government relations, corporate citizenship strategies, and charitable giving. Senator Melton, thank you for, for coming on Bring It On. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, greetings to your listening audience. So where would you like to get started? Um, I understand you just had a bill that was passed, the SEA 475. You want to tell us a little bit um, about the process and what the bill is about? Sure. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, this was my first legislative session. I was recently elected last year uh, in the General Assembly, so uh, I'm definitely honored. Uh, to have the opportunity to represent the folks of the 3rd District, which is Gary, Merrillville, Holbert, Crown Point, Lake Station, New Chicago. And it was an interesting session. As many of you know, we had a, uh, this was a budget year, and we had to address many issues uh, throughout the entire state, such as our infrastructure, education, and just to name a few. Uh, Senate Bill 475 was actually my first uh, piece of legislation, and it was recently signed uh, by the governor. And essentially what 475 aims to do is to extend the age of students that are diagnosed with developmental delay and and disabilities. Uh, Previously, the age was between the ages of three to five. And what we found, um, and I had the opportunity to serve on the State Board of Education for two years, 
um, was a lot of students were getting misdiagnosed or were actually not being diagnosed appropriately uh, when it comes down to special needs and developmental delay disorders. So what we were able to do with this piece of legislation was able to extend that age uh, from five to nine. So those children that may have been missed or misdiagnosed or overlooked uh, have an opportunity where educators and teachers can help to uh, rectify this issue. Um, this bill also has an appropriation of about $7 million across the state where we will provide funding for uh, additional developmental delay services. So I'm definitely uh, honored that this was the first piece of legislation I was able to get passed, and, and, and I'm hopeful that this will be able to serve a lot more students and, and children across the state of Indiana. Well, Senator, what would make um, uh, those who uh, did this bill before, what made them think that you can only identify developmental delay between the age of three and five, and then that's it? You know, I, I'm not sure in terms of what this, the special needs in terms of identifying or diagnosing at that particular age range. I know that from a cognitive and a motor skills perspective, uh, a lot of educators said that that age of three is probably the best age to start um, doing the assessment. Um, but what we found is, particularly in the African-American community, is that a lot of uh, students are either being misdiagnosed with particular uh, behavioral or developmental uh, disabilities. Mm -hmm. And this type of legislation will widen that time frame to make sure we get it right. And who's responsible for paying for uh, the diagnosis and, and, and taking the child in? Is this the school or is it the parent? Oh, this will be the school. These are, will be state dollars that have been uh, allocated from an appropriation standpoint um, in, in that regard. So the $7 million that was uh, in appropriations was something that we were able to ensure that was in the state budget this year. Okay, and they ha I, I take it then when your child is enrolled in school or Head Start, they have a professional person there that will take a look at this child or they're sent to someone. It's just not someone has gone to a seminar. It's someone who actually knows how to identify developmental delays and yes, disabilities. That's correct. Okay, you've also been working on the pre-K expansion bill. I was reading it a little bit, and it said that some of the some of the things that you wanted in the bill weren't passed. Can you tell me what you think about the current bill, and is there anything that can help happen in the future? Yeah, the, the current bill, uh, there are there's some good things in it, and there are some things that um, I'm not in agreement with. Um, there, there is an expansion uh, of vouchers, and as we know that the voucher system um, uh, ha has been a taxing uh, aspect uh, in terms of additional funds or the funds that are allocated to our public schools, which makes it fewer dollars uh, to go into the public school system. And this is a pilot program where uh, this, the, the, the Republican caucus on the Senate side, as well as on the uh, House side, wanted to appropriate um, a pilot program to fund uh, vouchers uh, for pre-K. And this is just for a uh, targeted fewer communities across the state. However, 
some of the good things in the bill is that we were able to make sure that we were able to expand on the original pilot program, which was On My Way Pre-K that was rolled out about three years ago. Uh, so we, we have some additional counties. The original amount of counties we had are about five. I believe we increased that at about 20 or so. Um, as our belief and our caucus that every single county should be equipped to have quality pre-K uh, programming. So that's something that we wish that uh, we can move forward and, and advocate for. And we definitely want to encourage the listening audience when they call and talk to the legislators that every child uh, that is in an age, age of four years old or so that is able to go to pre-K has a fair and equal opportunity to access that service. And this piece of legislation that was recently passed um, is slowly ramping it up over across the state. However, we believe that it could be ramped up even further or to expand and give every child that opportunity to have access to it instead of just a select few. Well, Senator, do you feel that the voucher program is a good one for our community? Well, I can give you an example uh, here in Gary, where, where I am and which, where I'm from and represent. Uh, we have about 700 families or so that have utilized the voucher system. And the voucher has been one of many contributing factors. And I want to make sure I, I say that clear in terms of a lot of the urban communities that face a lot of issues of funding in the education system. Um, I passed recently a Senate resolution, uh, Senate Resolution 56, which is asking the General Assembly to do a study committee to study how funding uh, is, is impacted in local areas, such as uh, rural, urban, and suburban areas. Mm -hmm. What I'm finding is that there are a lot of contributing factors, and vouchers uh, is one of those contributing factors, i.e., as well as uh, property tax caps, as well as property taxes, assessed valuation, and so forth. So there's a plethora of issues that uh, I think add to where we are today in the state of Indiana in terms of how we fund education. Okay. So what do you think about what's going on in Muncie, Indiana? Yeah, well, excuse me. When, when we talk about the situation with Muncie, and, and I'm very closely tied to this particular bill because the bill originated as a remedy for the city of Gary, a school corporation. Mm -hmm. And as you all may or may not know, the Gary Community School Corporation has over $100 million of, of debt. And every year uh, we've been operating at a deficit. And, you know, depending on what audience you, you speak with, some legislators may say it's mismanagement. I fail to believe that is solely any level of mismanagement. Uh, it's just been a transition in our community. You know, when you look at the, the loss of industry, the loss of population, um, you know, years ago, Gary had over 100,000 people. Uh, right now, we have about 70,000 people. Uh, you know, the, the Gary School Corporation is collecting about 42% collection rate on the property taxes. And the assessed value of our properties is low because of the abandoned structures and the blight and, and, and the low uh, uh, population. So yes. there's, there's been a plethora of issues. Uh, many may not reflect those that are in Muncie, 
but Marcy also has some financial issues as well. But I don't believe Muncy was at the state of uh, of distress that the Gary Scoop Corporation was in, and and I was there uh, every step of the way, and I've seen how uh, Muncy was actually injected into this bill, Senate Bill Five Sixty Seven, when they didn't even come and solicit any uh, support uh, from the state in the form that Gary did. Mm-hmm. So. I strongly believe this was a preemptive uh, approach to addressing Muncie. Uh, in the bill, uh, they put some parameters that are very different from the city of uh, Gary School Corporation, which will kind of phase in or give Muncie the opportunity to rectify uh, their financial situation. So uh, there is an opportunity for them to get on the right financial track. Um, but again, I just want to urge your listening audience and, and those policymakers or elected officials that may be listening that this is a broader issue that needs to stay at the forefront in terms of how schools are funded and what state policies that contribute to the issues that school districts face. I'm sure you may see it all over the state. Why are school corporations going for referendums left and right to help pay for transportation? They'll pay for new buildings or uh, operating expenses, operating dollars. Mm-hmm. Why must we allow our public school systems to go through this? And this issue must be studied and must be addressed. Yeah, I was just uh, found out yesterday about Indianapolis wanting to close some schools, and then someone has come up with the idea to uh, make the remaining schools. Uh, educate the kids and more how to get a job. So one school will be for those, and I don't know how you know at such a young age, but one will be for technical training. One would be for if you want to do automotive. Uh, it kind of reminds me of years ago, I heard that Christmas Attics High School had all of that in one high school. D- depending on what you wanted to do, uh, it was there and available for you so that you could step out of high school and go into the job market. And that's what I'm hearing now that IPS is looking toward doing. I don't know if they're going to use a voucher system or what, how they plan to pay for this. But uh, is that an idea that Gary and your district is looking into also? No, actually, we're we're at a at a point now where we're trying to allow the emergency manager that was appropriated in Senate Bill Five Sixty Seven come in and assess uh, our current state and where do we go from here? Uh, how do we address the debt? How do we close our operating deficit? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, how do we get on the right track academically? Now we have some great schools that are doing some great things. Uh, and I don't believe that this was another portion of the bill, Senate Bill 567, that I did not agree with, right. was the, ac- the academic takeover of the Gary School Corporation. Um, I, I urge the state, the General Assembly, that the state of Indiana should not be in the business of taking over entire school corporations. That is not the state's job. Mm-hmm. However, the state is responsible uh, for educating and making sure that education is uh, available for mm-hmm. all children in the state. But taking over 
schools, individual schools, not proven to be any more effective. The state has been doing that for the last seven, eight years or so. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, Gary was probably one of the first schools that had a turnaround academy or a turnaround school through Roosevelt High School. And although many things have changed in terms of climate and culture and the atmosphere in the school, and I commend the staff and the team that's doing the great work they're doing in there, academically they haven't fared any better than when the Gary School Corporation uh, was in control. So the state has not proven to be effective in turning around academics. This is the first time in the state of Indiana's history that taking over a school corporation has been done. And I just urge the state not to move at such a swift pace in doing so going into the future. We have an opportunity to turn this district around. Uh, I encourage the local community, our faith leaders and uh, community-based organizations and parents to be engaged in this process. And I'm encouraging the Hoosiers everywhere to kind of stay aware and watch what's going on so this is not duplicated in any other part of the state. What do you think the difference is between Gary and Muncie? They're trying to save Muncie. Is it who lives in these communities? You know, I think there's a different uh, level of crisis, and I use that word intentionally because uh, last year the Gary School Corporation went for a referendum um, and it failed by 300 votes or so. And that referendum uh, at the end of the year was to help finish this school year out. Yes. And literally there has been a lack of resources to adequately fund the rest of the school year in the city of Gary. So every month the, the city, uh, the school corporation, I'm sorry, uh, goes to the Distress Unit Appeals Board uh, and uh, presents the financial, the current financial states, uh, either on a monthly or bi-weekly basis, to solicit for additional funds to get through the school year. Now, you know, like I know, there's no way to operate on it. Yeah. Uh, and to continue to move forward with that way. Yeah, month to month. Month to month is, is, is not appropriate. It's ridiculous. That, that is our current financial state. Um, now, uh, I will say this. I'm not making any excuses for uh, past administrations or past board members. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was an opportunity for the board to make decisions in a more timely fashion. And I'll give you an example. Uh, earlier I mentioned the population loss that we have in the city of Erie. At one point we had about 40 school buildings. Uh, operating schools. Well, when you have a loss of population, you can't function or operate those buildings at a capacity that you once were once operated them because you don't have the student population. Yes, absolutely. And that student population loss is, is contributed by, again, the vouchers as well as um, charter schools. Mm-hmm. You know, Gary is ranked sixth in the nation with the most charter schools sixth in the nation per capita of how many students that we have with the most charter schools. And when we look at five years ago, we had 10,000 students. Right now we have 5,000 students. So we're losing, hemorrhaging that population at a very rapid rate. Uh, could decisions have been made sooner? 
to adjust to the trends. Yeah, yeah, it could. But that's hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, we, where we are right now is that we still have children in a school system, and we need to ensure that they have a quality system in place. Yes. So I think we have to move past you know, the, the finger pointing, but we got to acknowledge what was the contributing factors, be it local decision-making process, uh, good or bad, be it state policies, good or bad. Those are the type of conversations we have to have. So I know you're waiting for them to do some type of analysis on what's going on. What are some of the suggestions in your office for this travesty? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I'm glad you asked that. When we look at in 2008, 2009, and, and anyone can go back and do the research, um, City, Indiana um, enacted a property tax cap, a tax we capped the taxes at 1%. Well, that was a huge uh, blow financially to school corporations uh, in many parts of the state. Um, we need to figure out how to fill that gap. I'll give you an example again. The city of Gary, um, I believe since 2009, has lost over $85 million of taxes that we could have collected, the school corporation could have collected over the years, $85 million. Now, that's over, you know, nearly a a period of time, but that's a significant portion of money that could have went towards education, that Mm -hmm. could have went towards infrastructure of the buildings, ensuring that students had a a solid school structure and, and, and adequate services and teachers were compensated well. Um, that's just one of the issues. When I continue to mention contributing factors, there may be things I'm not even aware of. Uh, um, but this is why we need to engage our educators, our administrators, to learn of the issues that they're facing so they can give us the information on how they're struggling to pay for transportation, how they're struggling to pay uh, for other things to ensure that they give our children the best quality education. Mm-hmm. What are some of uh, you're on a uh, plethora of committees? <laughs> um, what are some of the committees that you're on that there's some um, that you want to tell us about that for the state of Indiana or in your area in particular? Well, excuse me. I, I think when we look at uh, veteran affairs, and I'm very passionate about uh, veteran affairs in mm-hmm. terms of how we treat our veterans, how we ensure that they have what they need when they return home, um, what services we provide them. Um, That's something that I encourage folks to really pay attention to uh, because if these men and women go to serve and fight and and protect us, uh, they deserve to come back to the best care uh, and attention that we can possibly give them. Uh, That's statewide and federally as well. there's some things that we were able to do uh, in the budget to ensure that a lot of homeless veteran services are funded. Uh, a lot of medical needs are funded for, for veterans as well. Um, one other committee uh, I will just briefly talk about that I'm not on, but I was able to present a, um, a resolution was uh, the health committee. 
I was contacted by a constituent, a constituent of mine where they had a 26-year-old son that was denied health care uh, out of state to go out of state. Uh, so the state of Indiana, I believe, is, you know, our Medicaid, uh, Medicare system would not pay for them to go take the services that this family had found in Pittsburgh. Um, and it's a rare disorder. And one of the things that, through the help of this family, we were able to do was to pass a resolution that, that would ask the General Assembly to study how many parents, how many families are falling through the cracks and are not receiving the health care uh, services because they have a rare disorder or because um, they can't uh, or, or the system will not pay for them to receive the quality of care in another state that they may have identified. Mm-hmm. Those are the type of things that we have to pay close attention to. We have to hold the state accountable. We have to figure out how do we close the loopholes and the gaps that we face. Well, that's interesting that that has gone on for so long and it hasn't been addressed until now that, you know, that you brought this up, especially with veterans. That's, that's why it's important for uh, citizens to engage and interact with their legislators. Yes. It is, it, is, it is how I receive a lot of the information, the knowledge, and of how to handle and address situations because you, we can't master every subject. There may be one or two things that we may be pro, very, very good in and that we may do well and specialize in, but we can't master everything. That's why we need to rely on the public to be that subject matter yes. experts that can educate us and inform us of what we need to be on the lookout for or what we need to advocate for on their behalf in the General Assembly. Uh, one of the committees I see that you are on is Natural Resources. Yes. And that's kind of important to me. Would you tell us about that committee and what's going on with it? Yeah, th- th- it was a very slow year uh, in terms of actual bills for natural resources. Um, and I'm very passionate about that by me being a ranking minority member uh, for that committee. Uh, but one of the things I would just point out, the why I'm so passionate about it, because the part of the state that I live in, you know, we have Lake Michigan right mm-hmm. here in our backyard. We yes. have the dunes. Uh, we have a lot of beautiful natural resources, but we also have a lot of industry as well. Mm-hmm. And, and we all we know in minority communities across the country where we have communities with a lot of industry that may cause pollution, that may cause contamination, um, we have to be very cognizant of the impact of quality of life to yes. us. So that's why I'm very passionate about natural resources and very passionate about the environment. And that's something that we can't take off our radar uh, in our community because it is something that really depends on our basic everyday quality of life. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. I, that's why I asked that question because I know that our, our current president wants to rescind some of the order, orders of the last three presidents uh, about uh, some of our natural beauties and, and to develop in some of these areas. And so uh, I understand your, your passion about saving things, especially up in your area. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, the dunes are beautiful. And uh, a, there's a lot of beautiful areas there that we want to save for our kids for the future. Right. Exactly. Well, it's 
almost time to wrap it up. So I have one more question um, about your role. I know a lot of our listeners are saying, why are we talking to somebody from the, the third district? You know, how does it affect us? So could you just tell everybody a little again about how we should look at how um, schools are funded because it can affect us as well? Absolutely. Well, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that if it affects one, it affects us all. And our community, the African-American community, we have an opportunity right now, and, uh, and I'm not trying to get political in terms on the federal level. However, there you mentioned it earlier, there are some things that's coming down the pipeline policy-wise where we need to be very aware of and that we need to have conversation and dialogue on how do we address and combat these things and advocate for our community the best way that we can, armed with information, armed with the facts, armed with uh, how do we articulate the need that we so urgently need. So, sure, I may be in northwest Indiana, but I'm sure your listening audience may have family up this way or friends or relatives so uh, I try not to look at it of geographically where we are. You know, our legislative caucus, the Black Caucus, I think we have a phenomenal group of legislators across uh, the entire state. But there's an opportunity for us to go and listen and learn where there may be things and opportunities where we can improve upon in our own districts and own community. Uh, again, the, the way we fund education, I don't see any other topic that may be as important as the one uh, dealing with where we need to go in terms of education mm-hmm. uh, right now. And if, if we look and you see that um, tr- uh, President Trump and Betsy DeVos, uh, they're proposing their new education budget. And there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be cut federally uh, in education that we have to be very aware of. You know, that doesn't just impact Erie. That doesn't just impact Muncie. That doesn't just impact Wilmington. And and that impacts us all. And when we look at the public school system, you know, someone and and, and a lot of people have to remain vigilant and diligent in terms of being an advocate to ensure that our public school systems stay intact. Mm -hmm. Well, our thanks goes out to Indiana State Senator Eddie Melton, who joined us to discuss the progress on the legislature agenda of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus. To learn more about the IBLC, go to indianahousedemocrats.org backslash members backslash IBLC. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Bikesmith's Bicycle Shop. Established in 1975, Bikesmith sells Cannondale and Giant bicycles, services all makes, and provides accessories. 
open every day, a half block south of Courthouse and a half block east of the B Line at 112 South College. It's where you will find Bike Sis Bicycle Swap. Oh, what's happening, CC? They still call it the White House, but that's a temporary condition, too. Can you dig it, CC? To each is reach, and if I don't cop, it ain't mine to have. But I'll be reaching for you, because I love you, CC. Right on. There's a lot of chocolate cities uh, around. We've got Newark, we've got Gary. Somebody told me we got L.A. <laughs> and we're working on Atlanta. You're the capital. Hey, CC, they say you jive and game and can't be changed. But on the positive side, uh, you're my piece of the rock, and I love you, CC. Can you dig it? Hey, uh, we didn't get our 40 acres and a mule, but we did get you, CC. <laughs> yeah. God bless CC and his vanilla suburbs. <laughs> Downstroke CC Chocolate City. Are you with me out there? And when they come to march on you, tell them to make sure they got their James Brown pass. And don't be surprised if Ali is in the White House and Reverend Ike, Secretary of the Treasury, Richard Pryor, Minister of Education, Stevie Wonder, Secretary of Fine Arts. And Miss Aretha Franklin, the first lady. Are you out there, CC? A chocolate city is no dream. It's my piece of the rock. And I dig you, CC. God bless Chocolate City and its vanilla suburbs. Can y'all get to that? Be 
in your stuff. Got New York, I'm told. You've just heard Chocolate City by Parliament. Chocolate City is a song by the funk band Parliament, the lead track of their 1975 album of the same name. It was also released as a two-part single, the first from the album. The song's largely spoken vocals expressed pride in Chocolate Cities, that is, cities with a majority black population. The song also reflects on the solidarity of African-American society at that time. In 1975, this song playfully hypothesizes what it would be like if there were African-Americans in the White House. Hmm, deja vu. That would be, a Chocolate City would be Detroit, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Detroit, yeah. Gary, right? Gary, Gary. Yeah. yeah. Okay. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB, or you can always visit the WFHB News website at WFHB.org slash news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Layla Randall. At the top of the hour, we share that we have invited Mr. Gene Devane to join us to share the story of his mother, Mrs. Maggie Devane, who, in November of this year, will turn 112. It's her birthday on the 25th of November, because that's my birthday. November 19th. November 19th. That's close. She's on the cuff, though. I think she's probably a Scorpio, though. Okay. She has been blessed to see 20 U.S. president administrations and now to share many more insights into the phenomenal life of his mother is Mr. Gene Devane. Welcome to Bring Welcome. It On. Thank you for coming, Gene. Let's share with our listening audience about your wonderful mother. Let's say, start off by telling her, telling us, our listening audience, when was she born? She was born in 1906, November the 17th, 
in a little town called Rex, North Carolina. Many people in the listening audience probably don't know where Rex is, but they do know where one of the larger areas in that area is, and that's Fort Bragg. It's about 19 miles due south of Fayetteville or Fort Bragg. And tell us about your mom now. At her age, is uh, she remembering things? Because I can't. Is she getting around? And just tell us about her general health and mental health and just just free to talk uh, talk to us about Miss Maggie. Sure. Well, first of all, mentally, she has very little dementia. I would say zero. In fact, I have more than she does. <laughs> and uh, she remembers phone numbers and remembers dates and places. And when I talk to her, many times I'll have to call her to get a a cousin or a distant, distant relative's name or a phone number, and she readily gives that to me. And uh, so genetically, she's pretty sound mentally. Physically, her body is not as strong as it used to be, so she has to have a little help getting around and, and uh, with a walker and what have you. She goes outside and, and enjoys the weather when it's great, and when it's not, she stays inside. And she's kind of cranky and bossy, too. <laughs> she can be, okay, at 111. I know, have people asked you, like, what does she do? How does she live her life? What was her diet? Like, that's usually what people ask. So can you tell, what do you, what do you think she feels um, she has done in her life to extend the longevity of it? Wow. The only thing that I feel quite sure about. Genetically, she's sound. Mm -hmm. And without good genes, mm -hmm. my name is Jean. I don't know if it's coincident, I guess. <laughs> but at any rate, um, she was never uh, an overeater. She never, uh, oh, got involved in too many stressful things. And uh, she was always active in the church and, uh, and positive about 90% of the things she talked about. She was quite unhappy with the way things were going in the South, but that being uh, something that she had no total control over, she was able to deal with it mentally. And uh, so you put it out of your mind in order to cut down the stress, even though you know it's still there. And other than that, I, her diet, as I said before, was uh, normal. She didn't uh, eat a lot of the things. She didn't eat that much pork. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so I'm not saying that pork is bad for you, but it's it has its drawbacks. So did she ever smoke? Because see, that, no. those are, those, those are the, in, the indicators that they're always asking people that yeah. go over and the age. she never smoked. She never no, smoked. she was okay. not a smoker. Okay. Uh -huh. and, um, and as far as I know, never imbibed in alcohol to any great extent. I'm mm -hmm. sure she drank a little wine or something like that, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, she never did overdid anything okay. other, other than uh, she tried to keep me straight, of course. <laughs> that was a, quite a job, being the only child. Tell our listening audience about the uh, how difficult it was for her to vote after the laws changed and exactly how that affected her and people of her age. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, in North Carolina, which I'm sure many of you are aware of, there are laws out that pass about voter registration, you had to have a photo ID. Well, when she was born in 1906, a midwife did the delivery. 
and no record was recorded at the state house until, well, correction, the county house until 1915. So she never drove, so consequently she never got a photo ID. Now, she is a property owner, taxpayer, has a social security, and has always been active in the community. And when voting became legal for black folks back in North Carolina, she voted at that particular time because no voter ID was required. This was a Johnny-come-lately thing. So when I got wind of this, and in fact, she called me and she said, well, I can't vote anymore because I don't have a voter ID. And you have to have a birth certificate in order to get a uh, photo ID from the B, uh, driver's, whatever. The, the, the BMV. BMV, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. right. And um, so I went down, and, and I was a little angry when I walked into the courthouse, and the people figured, well, here is one of these guys who left home and go- come back, and he's going to change what we do in North Carolina. So I threatened some things. And finally, I was able to get her a, uh, a photo ID and because my birth certificate is in North Carolina. There's a registration for me. My father drove, so he was able to uh, vote. And so she was not a, uh, an alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, we got... She was able to vote. She never missed a day because I was ad- adamant about getting the I- voter ID. So she's voted in the last two elections under that particular uh, ruling. And I think there's still, in fact, I know there's still some controversy in North Carolina with the voter ID. It's sad at this day and time that we have people who don't want other people to vote. Yeah, uh, as we were saying bef- before the show started this evening, uh, she didn't need vote any ID for them to take her tax money. And she's <laughs> going to be 112 and has paid taxes for longer than I've been alive. And then all of a sudden, you're going to tell this woman she can't vote. Right. Because she has uh, several pieces of rental property mm-hmm. and uh, she files uh, federal taxes and uh, state and local taxes. And uh, the county is. Uh, I don't know, uh, the, the state, I should say, is responsible for uh, these laws, but they are behind the times, and so what do you do with people like that? Yeah, absolutely. I figured out that your mom has lived under 20 presidents. Wow. <laughs> and when I got a chance to talk to her, she said her favorite was one of the Roosevelts, and I can't remember which one. Uh, Delanor or oh, yeah, Franklin, Franklin. FDR. Was, yeah. Okay, yeah, was her favorite. Um, how does she feel about politics now? You ever talk to her about it? Is she well? I think that what we talk about, it's pretty. Uh, she has pretty strong feelings about uh, the changes that were made. Well, for instance, she grew up in Jim Crow. And her father was born in slavery and uh, was in the uh, the army during the at the very end of uh, the Civil War. So he fought on the side of the uh, North. 
he was never in combat. I shouldn't say he fought, but he was in the military at that particular time. And I have his discharge papers. He was discharged in Louisville, Kentucky. And how he got to North Carolina and met my grandmother is, is a mystery because to leave Louisville at that particular time and travel all the way to North Carolina at he, he was that going time the wrong was, way. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Most people <laughs> would go went the other north. She, he must, she must have really had something going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, but he did I don't think he knew her. Oh, okay. I don't think he knew my uh, Maybe his family was down there, too, or yeah. something. For him yeah, to go he could have had family. Yeah. But we have no record of his early mm-hmm. life uh-huh. other than uh, his military uh, time that he spent. But... Uh, anyway, Mom is very strong about uh, politics, and she sees through all of the shenanigans mm. that is pulled in the political world. Mm-hmm. You, you can't pull the wool over her eyes, and uh, she always says she wasn't born yesterday. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That is true. Now, to my understanding, her father... Uh, he was born during slavery. Yes. Okay. And out of slavery, he, or either right before he married, I know she said he was married three times. Three times, yes. And she is the product of a, a third, third marriage. Right. And he acquired enough land, or or we would say wealth, that he was able to leave all of his children some property. And I'm not talking about just a scratch. He left them a significant amount how was he able to do that? And then you guys still have it. I'm just so proud of you, yeah. the whole family, for doing that. Well, it's a, it's a mystery. Uh, I knew um, my aunt, my mother's half-sister the, of the first family. And, um, and I knew my, uh, I'm correction, there was a, one family before that that I didn't know, but I did know my second uh, uh mother's sister, her Mm half-sister. And um, she was living on part of the farm. There were several hundred acres that he purchased. So I I have no idea. There is no record of how he did it. But property at that time was probably $10 or $15 an acre. And uh, and he had been in the military and gotten out, and I'm sure he had some money saved away. And... uh, who knows? Uh, he could have been a good gambler, you know. Uh, <laughs> I was in the military also, and, and the guys, after they get paid, would would get in the back of the barracks and, and shoot crap. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that could have been the way yeah. that he uh, accumulated a, a large sum of money at that particular time. But a large sum of money to buy a property at that time, probably if you had several hundred dollars, you could buy a lot of property. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what he did. Out of the three families, and by the way, each one of the uh, wives died, and he married. He was he was uh, quite oh, a religious yeah. man too. Oh, so, okay. and uh, anyway, my mother and her siblings uh, have a little over a hundred acres, and the others had uh, also large sums. Uh, mm-hmm. large acreage. Well, not large compared to today's time, you know, mm-hmm. several thousand acres, no. But, and we still have, all of those properties are still in the family. The first first family, the second family, and the third family, my mom, 
everybody still owns the property, and it's still in the in the families. And we have a family reunion. It's all together, but it's been split up for, with those families. But you know, uh, some people just can't wait to to sell. They see dollar signs, right? And your family didn't do that, right. and I think that's awesome. And I have no intentions of selling it. And I've yeah. told my kids don't that sell. don't sell, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I rent, well, my mother rents it out. And uh, one of the interesting things, I can tell this and so, but uh, she would, uh, she broke all of the laws on rentals. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And um, when someone had bad children, she wouldn't rent to them. <laughs> <laughs> which is illegal, and I would tell her, I said, Mom, this is, I said, I have nothing to do with this. You might <laughs> just, anyway, uh, she, would, she would say, I'm, I'm not going to have children tearing up my places. Yeah. And uh, so, which is a, a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's good, but it's just one of, her, one of her quirks, and she still believes that today. So, and it's a small community, it's a small and she knew and she whose knew kids, kids was yeah, right. yeah, going to tear up her property. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, she's lived through the Industrial Revolution, the Great Depression, World War One, World War Two. Um, so what does she, how did, what, is, what part of history does she feel or does she like or dislike the most? I mean, she, she she's lived through it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean. So, what, I th- what, what do you think she? What is what does she like? I know. What era does she have an affinity toward? I, I think she was so proud to see a black president. Really, and that's she talks about that. And even though she loved FDR, because mm-hmm. I think when he passed, and I I don't think I know. Uh, she cried because he was. She thought of him as being such a good president. Yeah. Well, he and, came through and busted up all those monopolies, even though he ended up making yeah. more money. You know, so mm-hmm. he came in and, you know, everybody was, you know, making wealth and th- doing monopolies, and he he kind of put that structure in where mm-hmm. that can't happen. So, right. you know, he he came in and did a a, a great service. Mm-hmm. You know, even though, you know, all mm-hmm. these the Standard Oil, they've still made like tons of money through all the different companies, but it was still, I mean. And two, like Ford, cars. So she was there with, when the horse and buggy, or even before that when they were walking, and now they have cars and yes. airplanes. That's right. So, yeah, it's amazing. And since you mentioned airplanes, uh-huh. I, I'm a pilot, so uh, okay. I got a chance to fly my mother. Uh-huh. She was always skeptical. She said, I don't know if I want to go riding with you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, she did. I, I, uh, she flew with me, and, uh-huh. uh, and she enjoyed it. How old was she when she flew with you? Uh in her 90s in at 90. that time, yeah. And that was right. her first airplane that ride. That was her first airplane wow. ride, yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Wow. That, so. that is something else. So what, um, I'd like to know, what is she, does she enjoy music, and, and who were her favorite artists? Oh, yeah, she, she enjoys music. In fact, uh, she used to dance. She talked about dancing. She and Dad would go uh, you know, we had the honky tonks back in those yeah. days. So you'd, she'd, they would go and dance and 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 have a good time. And uh, so, but recently she listens primarily to uh, religious music. Uh-huh. And uh, in fact, she loves the Gaither Brothers 
when I'm there on, they come in, they used to come in on, I think it's Saturday night, uh, yeah, I think, be, and she would uh, tune in, and uh, of course she knew uh, artists like Lena Horne and oh, yeah. Cab Calloway and all of that, so those were, those were her favorite uh, pop uh, musicians at the time at the time yes okay well we have time i think leela for one more question do you have no i don't no no he's, don't. he's shaking his head oh, he's saying we don't I, have one you know, more question well, yeah, so you, you have to come back you got to come yeah, back okay. yeah, yeah right. we got to talk that, about miss maggie some more <laughs> okay yeah there, there's a lot more i, I, I skimmed over <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. our thanks to mr gene devane for joining us this evening to share wonderful stories about um, his mother, Mrs. Maggie Devane, who in November of this year will turn 112. We want to know what you think of our current black issues. Send your comments to Bring It On at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Leela Randall. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM, on your radio, and live on the web at WFHB.org. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar event that you've heard tonight, contact on contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our thanks to Indiana State Senator Eddie Melton, who joined us to discuss progress on the legislative agenda of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus. To learn more about the IBLC, go to indianahousedemocrats.org slash member slash IBLC. And our thanks also to Mr. Gene Devane. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Joe Crawford. Our board engineering team consists of Jim Thrasher and Floyd Hobson. Our original theme music was created by Jamal Ephraim, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Leela Randall. Be sure to tune in next Monday, May 29th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.